Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you. We are not deserving of your grace, Lord God. The moment when we realize that we are finite beings is when you do your best work, Lord God. Help us to move out of the way so you can fill up your rightful place in our life, Lord God. Lord, as we learn a little bit more about hope, Lord God, and as James comes to speak, Lord God, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive what you have to say, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. As Mary, praise God. And hearing Yvonne's story, there is this presumption that Christmas is about family. And if Christmas is about family, then what hope does Yvonne have? A mother she can't depend on, a father that's not dependable, even friends of the family that can't be sure. Maybe Christmas is much more than family. Maybe Christmas is about Jesus and about Jesus being our only sure hope. And that means that Jesus is hope for the single person and he's hope for the person that has no money for gifts. And he's hope for the person that has nowhere to go for Christmas. And he's hope for those who have no home. Christ is our hope. And Christmas is our time to celebrate his entrance into the world. You know, hope, as you talk about it, really can be played out in two different ways. You can say, I hope it's warm this Christmas. I hope it won't rain. And when you state that kind of hope, that's a desire. That's an outcome that you wish would happen. But then there's another kind of hope that the scriptures speak of. And this is a confident expectation something that you believe will happen, and it is a certainty. It's why the kids on Christmas Eve have those butterflies in their stomach, because they've been told by everybody, Santa's coming. In fact, they can't sleep because they know they're getting a gift that next morning, so much so that I know when I was young, I tried to find the gift. Any, anybody try to find the gift beforehand? Praise the Lord. Because you were so excited. It's amazing when you have a confident expectation how it causes you to have a certain type of behavior, a way that you wait. And we wait as those who have hope. And yet, the scriptures also talk about when you have hope and it doesn't work out. When you knew your father was supposed to be the person that cared for you and was the strong one. 
but he was really so weak. When your mom was supposed to be nurturing, but all her emotions were pulling from you. When work life was supposed to be a particular way, but yet it's not really worked the way you thought it would. Hope, when you have a confident expectation and it doesn't work the way you thought it would, the Proverbs put it this way. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Wow. If you've had the flu, you know what it's like to want to go to work and do things, but your body just won't let you. You want to breathe, but you just can't breathe the way you want to. You're aching on the inside. Because even though in your mind you know what you want to do, you're sick. And what it's saying is, when you begin to hope in something and it doesn't work out, basically you have a broken heart and it's hard to hope again. Your heart's sick. And even though you try to lean on people, it's just hard. And interestingly enough, we can find our hopes being thwarted in the world, but we can also, those who have put their hope in God, you quite possibly have walked in here this afternoon with a sick heart. Where things really didn't work the way you thought they would this year. Where you just knew God was going to come through, but it just hasn't played out the way you thought it would. Interesting, in the world, we saw so many crazy things this year. A person walked into a church and shot nine people while they were at Bible study, worshiping the God they love. A deranged man walked in. And I'll never forget, as I was talking to some of my friends, there was a point where the young man was in the courthouse. And while he was there, the people, the families of the victims walked in there and began to forgive the man who did it. And I'll never forget, you know what my friend said? Stop. Stop forgiving. We've done this too long. We, we, we're always forgiving people. Just give it up. Come on. The Christian thing. Is that what we're doing again? Are you believing in this myth of a God who we're supposed to always be forgiving? We don't need just forgiveness. We need some action. Let's stop all these fairy tales and get down to business. And then our year got even more crazy. In San Bernardino, and of our understanding, the statistics tell us that there were 355 different mass shootings. If you think of five or more people being shot in one, one actual day from one outcome, that's a ton of shootings. And our world is sitting there trying to figure out, should we get more guns or should we have less guns? And how do we communicate this in a political realm? And so the Daily News just said they're tired of people tweeting about prayer. And they said, God isn't fixing this. 
Just stop these games of prayer. Now, I fundamentally believe that that article isn't really about intended to be religious. I really think it's a political statement. But they could have said, hey, we need to do more than pray. We need some action, which would kind of coincide with our theology, not just to be hearers and doers. But they didn't say that. They didn't say pray and. They said just stop. Because fundamentally, I think that there's this undergirding behind this article. The God thing again, he's not fixing it. But interestingly enough, although there may be those who are secular that put this article together, haven't you heard this in your heart once or twice? I'm praying and you're not fixing it. I've been trusting and you're not fixing it. And I placed my hope in you because I thought you could fix it. And if you've ever been to that place of having that sickness in your heart and the very sickness that the world feels, then the Christmas story is your story. Because the Christmas story that we saw here with Mary and Joseph and the angels, beautiful story, but there, like any story, there is a behind the scenes. A story behind the story. And behind the scenes of the Christmas story are a people who have been trusting in God for Messiah, one that would come, a king that would come, and he would change everything. But it had been hundreds of years since their God spoke, and people began to leave. People began to say, this God is not real. God's not worth trusting in. This God doesn't speak anymore. Your God who used to talk is now a mute. And this God you thought was active is actually silent. And he's walked away from his very creation. This is the behind the scenes. There was a couple, two people, who were part of the remnant of believers who dared to believe anyway who dared to have faith anyway. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. If you have your phone, you can open up an app, turn there. And if none of those things work, you can look on the screen. Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, interestingly enough, Zechariah and Elizabeth, if you read it out, it says they're both from priestly lines. Zechariah, a division, a priestly division of Abijah, and his wife, a descendant of Aaron, meaning both of these kids were raised coming to the temple all the time. In other words, this is what we call church kids. Always around, always hearing, always seeing dad, 
and mom. And Zechariah saw his dad from a very young age go in to the temple. But this was not a good time to be a Jew. Because if you look in the first part of that verse, it says this was the time of King Herod. Herod was a bad boy. Herod had killed two of his wives. Herod killed three of his own sons. Herod, in the time of Jesus, would actually end up killing a slew of babies. And what was crazy is that the Jews believed that there was a king that would come, but they had to call Herod their king. So here they are in Jerusalem with King Herod having to be called him king. Was not a good time to be a Jew. Wasn't a good time to believe. And other people had stopped believing. But things were worse than that. So you look. In verse 7, it says, well, in verse 7 it says that they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Oh, man. Here, Zechariah is going to the temple all the time believing. But Elizabeth's not able to have a baby. Now, understand, at this time, if you were a woman, the very definition of your womanhood was the ability to have a child. Women believed that if you were not able to conceive, you were cursed by God. If you were not able to conceive from society's eyes, you were worthless because women were largely uneducated at the time. In fact, it was presumed that the only good thing a woman was for was to create a child. And here she is, believing in her God, trusting in her God, barren, unable to conceive walking around with shame, yet she says she believes in Yahweh. It's a bad time to be a Jew. Why were they hoping? Why did they still trust? In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, there was a promise that the people just held to. Hundreds of years, no movement from God, nothing from God, barren, without child. And all they have to hang on to is a promise. Genesis chapter 12, there is Abraham. And Abraham, it says in Genesis 12 and 2, God speaks to Abraham and says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And they would go back and read that again. They'd look at Herod dominating them. They said, well, this is what the text says. We believe that someday God's going to do something awesome through us. We don't see it. We believe our God has another move that people don't see. 
And interestingly enough, from this text of Abraham, the reason why they had hope is because they had to look at what God had done in the past. This Abraham did end up having a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac ended up having a son named Jacob. And Jacob would be called Israel. And you've heard of Israel. And Israel would become a nation. And this nation would get overtaken into slavery. And yet they would have a deliverer. And his name was Moses. But then after Moses, they wanted a kingdom, basically. They wanted to be able to have a king like all the other peoples. And then Israel went through this period of having different kings. And you had covenant keepers and covenant breakers. And you had good kings and bad kings. And it was an absolute mess. And then God sent a preacher, a prophet, to remind them, keep fighting. (laughs) Isaiah And Isaiah 42 says, I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. And so Isaiah the preacher gets before them and says, listen, y'all, keep believing. I know you don't see anything happening, but God has spoken to me. His word is true. Keep trusting. And it got better. No, it didn't. It got worse. You would think at this point, after he says something, it would get better. It got worse. Israel lost all its influence as a kingdom. And for the next 700 years, Israel would be overtaken over 25 times. The Babylonians, the Syrians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, everybody was punking Israel. And people of Israel are wondering, where is this strong and powerful Yahweh, this God we have heard of, this God we've read about? And then the culminating point in 64 BC, Pompey, Pompey the Great, he comes up into Jerusalem and he sacks Jerusalem, takes it over, takes over all the Jews. And to make matters worse, he goes up into the temple. The temple, which is the very place that people would come to worship. And there was the Holy of Holies. This was the place where people would believe that God was there. And they walk into the temple. And Pompey busts into the Holy of Holies. And the people believe that if you go up in the Holy of Holies, you're not going to come out. That you're going to die. Pompey goes up into the Holy of Holies and is unscathed pushed past the priests, pushed past the people, and he is unharmed. And when he walks out, the very assumption is this, that the God of Israel is not as strong as the Roman God, who was called Jupiter. And all the people began to say, your God is a weakling. Jupiter is the strong one. How do we know? Just look at Pompeii. Look at our situation. Look at the state we're in. We're oppressed. Things seem to be getting worse. And the people begin to scatter. And everybody begins to disbelieve this God and this Yahweh. And something about Elizabeth and Zechariah caused them 
to still believe. And in verse 8, in verse 8, something happened. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. In verse 9, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And this was this unique moment. The burning of incense was this incredible picture of the prayers of the people. And so he would get a chance to go in there and give this symbolic picture of how people are still remaining faithful. And this moment actually happened by lotto, by chance. You get to do this one time in your life. And so Zechariah, this one chance, this one shot, he has to go into the temple. He has the incense going and burning and he's there with this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And verse 10, it says, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. In verse 11, something changed. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. While he's being faithful, God shows up. And what's crazy is that he's overwhelmed with fear. And just to note, whenever you see an angel in the Bible, these are scary people. They're gripped with emotion. And he is in awe that God is moving. And he said something to him that he needed to hear. But he said something to him that you need to hear. He says to him, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. In verse 14, he goes on to say, he will be, listen, he'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. He'll be this unique person set apart for God. And in verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he will bring back to the Lord their God. So he says, all those people that are doubting now will trust. And God will use him to proclaim the name of the Lord so that the people would come and rejoice in God. And he says in verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a way for the Lord. <laughs> In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, listen, listen, I got a question. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And what he's saying is, listen, have you looked at me? There's no way God's going to show up in that way. 
I'm an old man. Note to you brothers out there, when you're old like me, I'm about to have a baby, I'm 39, call yourself an old man, but when you talk about your wife, say she's well along in years. He says, listen, I'm old. My body is shut down. There's no way I can. And my wife, she's not able to. And really what he says to the angel is, have you looked at me? Have you considered this plan and considered me and my age and my inability? And then the angel said to him, which is what you should say if you're an angel. I'm Gabriel. What do you mean? What is God going to do? You're talking to an angel. What do you mean? Is God going to show up? An angel of the Lord is right before you. And you know what he says? He says to him, Zechariah, I want you to give, I want to give you my job description. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words. And we can go into a sermon about that another day. The brother couldn't talk no more. That's a trip. But what he says is this. This will come true at their appointed time. The appointed time. The appointed time. You mean to tell me that this whole time, this was part of God's plan. You mean to tell me that the words here for appointed essentially mean that there has been a season set up before the foundation of the world that God knew the whole time. You mean to tell me this was scheduled and not random? You mean to tell me God has always known what his people would go through, but always had to deliver a set up? Wait a minute. There was a time that God always had. Always. The appointed time. And God had been setting this up. And it says in verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, why are you in the temple so long? So verse 22, when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. He remained unable to speak. And in verse 23, he says, when the, the service time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And the Lord, she said, has done this for me. In these days, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace from the people. And lastly, in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent his angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a little town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of God. And that virgin's name 
was Mary. And this picks up with all the stories we see on TV. And this picks up with what we saw here today. The story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And yet the backdrop is that the people couldn't have fathomed that God had another move. And that God would send his son, Jesus. And Jesus would be born of a virgin. And this little baby boy would one day come to take away the sins of the world. And he would be better than Moses because he would deliver his people not from slavery but from sin. And he'd be better than David the king because he'd be a ruler of the whole world. He was the king and deliverer. And no one saw this coming. And yet God had it all the time as his plan. And in the Christmas season, the reason why we place our hope in Jesus is because he is the deliverer of sin. He is the one that dies for us. And he is the one that died for them. And takes away the sin of the world. And there's no way we could have imagined, there's no way the prophets could have seen that there was going to be a God-man. A lamb that would be slain. No one saw this coming. And in the Christmas season, we celebrate Jesus because he takes away our sin. But then we celebrate Jesus because we're reminded that God seems to always have breaking news that we weren't prepared for. And because of that, he is always our sure hope and our confident expectation. This is the very season that we come to today where in our hearts, we have something inside of us that begins to doubt because we don't see God working in the way we thought he would. In our hearts, we presuppose the plan that we thought God would have. And yet, the Lord, in spite of the plans that we thought he would make, still has a plan. And Christmas is this moment where we're reminded that God has a more developed understanding of beginning and end than we do. And God has an appointed time that we cannot fathom. And the one thing that we must do during the Christmas season, no matter how much doubt floods our hearts, is to believe anyway. And to trust anyway. And as the entire world goes and says... How do you believe in this God? Why do you believe in these myths? Are you still holding on to fairy tales? And in the midst of all the doubt that the world has, and New York City is filled with so much doubt, as the world and the city is filled with doubt, we are that remnant. We are that group of people that say, we still trust. And I believe anyway. And I trust anyway. And we know, if you don't know, that there is no legislation 
no matter how much legislation. There is no legislation that can legislate the heart. We can get rid of all the guns, and I, and I hope we do something about that. And I pray that we have a, a reorientation of how police see young black men. I, I want to see that changed. And I want to see a reorientation of how young black men see police. And I want to see all that change. And I want to see more fathers and homes. I want to see that change. And I want to see women getting to see a man really take care of them. I want to see that change. And all those who are hoping that they have a child next year, I hope you get it. And for those of you that are longing to see your plans work out for your job or your business, I hope you see it. And for all of us that are hoping in things next year, I hope you get it. But here is your confident expectation. His name is Jesus. He is the only confident expectation. Everything else is a desire and a will. Everything else might happen, but one thing I know. God, Jesus, it seems the scriptures seem to tell me he's got one more move, that his story isn't done yet. Why is all this happening? Why is all this pain, ISIS, your unwed mothers, sickness and cancer, why is all this happening, all this pain? God's got one more move, and his last move is his best move. And he's going to do a remix of the world. And things are going to be totally different. And I can tell you right now, New Jersey isn't New Jerusalem. There's a real New Jerusalem. And it's going to come down out of heaven. And it's going to totally rock our worlds. And we won't, the scriptures tell us, we won't even need a sun. Jesus will light up the world. And we'll be able to worship him day in and day out. And those that doubted won't even trust. They'll just have to trust because the Jesus that they doubted will be the Jesus that they worship. Because the scripture said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And every daily news and every terrorist, everyone one day will worship Jesus. This may not be what your college professor told you. And this may not be what you believe in your heart. But God is in the business of allowing people to doubt but still have another move. That is his history and that is his story. Old story. The preachers told me. <laughs> there was a museum. It's crazy. Two people walked into it, and when they walk in, there was this incredible picture. It was the picture of a young man, destitute, sad, and then on the other side of him was the devil, and the devil had this grin on his face, and the young man looked sad, and in the middle of the two was a chessboard. And on the chessboard, there were all these moves that had happened. And the name of the painting was Checkmate. And there the devil is grinning, looking, smiling, because he had won. And the young man was sad, disheveled, lost, because he couldn't beat this champion. 
two men walked into the museum and looked at the, at the painting. And one of them looks at the painting and says, they need to rename this painting. His friend says, why? He said, because the name of the painting is Checkmate. He says, well, they must have named it that because that's the end of the game. But his friend was a chess champion. And as a chess champion, he was able to look at this painting. And he looked and he goes, that's not true. You see, being a chess champion, I know something. And he looked at the painting and he says, the king has one more move. He says, what do you mean? He says, no, no, you don't understand. Like, the, the young man can't see it. But as a chess champion, I can tell you that this should be called something else. Come get the museum people. You, you've got to rename this painting. Because this shouldn't be called checkmate. As long as the king has one more move, we need to rename what this is. And the man sitting next to him says, oh, I couldn't see it with my eyes. And he says, but I can see it with mine. And I'm here to tell you, as long as the king has another move, you can't title this this way. And I guess that's what Christmas is about. That when all the people thought that God was silent, he really wasn't absent. That God still had one more move. And that the king, the king that they thought was dead, really was alive when he was in the grave for three days. They thought, ah, he's dead. And the devil grins and the people laughed. But the king had one more move. And this is what's crazy. As I sit in a coffee shop sometimes, working on my sermon, there are people around me. I, I, I mentioned this the other day. A woman said, I'm looking for a roommate, but I don't want somebody that believes in God. And the guy says, why? Because they're crazy. He says, and then the other person, and I thought the other person was going to debate, and they're like, yeah, they are crazy. I was like, dang. <laughs> and they went on to say they believe in a mythical being who has talking snakes, and, and God, he says, and, and listen, God's going to come, Jesus is going to come back on a horse, okay? And they looked at the scriptures as if they were a joke. And understandably, if you're looking at the painting and you don't know there's one more move, you'll say checkmate. You'll say God isn't fixing this. But as you go into 2016, this is what I would encourage you to do. Study the king. Because there'll be another San Bernardino this upcoming year. There'll be another event where the people will close the casket on God. There'll be something else. And if it isn't in the news, it'll be in your heart. Something that will cause you to believe that God is done. And this is what's crazy. You can hear something like this and agree with it and then go into next week and still doubt. But God, he is in the business of having an appointed time when people aren't sure of what's happening.
Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas time. And if you have no family to go to, and if you don't get a gift, and if people forgot about you, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. And the saddest thing is when you let Target define Christmas and not Jesus. Oh, it's Christmas time. And the sleigh bells really aren't, aren't, what are they, slinging? What do you call them? Slaying, slaying, slinging, slinging, slinging. They slaying and slinging. They doing all that. But guess what? That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about eggnog. It's not about any of those things. Christmas is God saying, I will show up when you forget about me. So don't forget about it. Don't forget about him. He is worthy to be worshipped. Because the God of the universe became a baby and took away the sin of the world. Jesus, we come now before you and we lay down our lives before you. And we worship you as our king. For you have an appointed time. And you will come back, you will crack the sky. And you are our hope. You, God, are our confident expectation. And one day, every knee, every tongue, everyone will confess you as Lord. And the angels will be singing, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. One day, everyone that doubts you will believe in you. One day, everyone running away from you will bow to you. One day, every story that has been written about you will need to be rewritten. One day, you will bring a close to pain and death and dying. And there will be some who reject you. There will be some who run from you. And this now, in this season is their opportunity to see you as you are. God, let us not be blinded by all the lights. Let us not be blinded by all the traditions. Would you unveil the true nature of your son? Would you allow us even now to worship you for who you are? You are the king. You are worthy to be praised. Jesus, when we say that you are holy, 
It means that you are without error. It also means you're without equal. So what that means is that we can not be in your presence because you're so holy. But when you died for us, you bridged the gap between us and the Father. And now just like Gabriel, we can say, I stand in the presence of God. That our God is not a far off God. That he lives in me. And I can commune with him just as I do with my wife or my close friends. Or thank you for not being far off, for coming to us in the form of Jesus and stepping in the gap for our sins so that we can receive the righteousness of Christ and have a connection or a relationship with God the Father again. Faithfully, I can say I, can, I stand in the presence of God. Thank you for that good news. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.